This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. We all have an idea of a grandfather, an elderly chap sitting in an easy chair dispensing pearls of wisdom, usually starting with, back in my day, from behind an open newspaper. But a grandfather is more than a cartoonish image, more than the father of your parent. He can be a 40-something man who wears graphic tees and plays Dungeons and Dragons on the weekend. He can be a construction worker a decade away from retirement with calloused hands and a warm heart. He can be a second father who fills a void when required and stands back when the vacancy is filled. He can be a grandfather through marriage or adoption who loves his instant grandchildren as much as he loves kids who share his genes. He can be a shoulder to lean on, a jester or a judge, a secret keeper or truth teller. A grandfather can be whatever his children and his children's children need whenever they need it. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with a man who literally wrote the book on what grandfathers need to know, and it's filled with all sorts of wisdom, exactly the kind of wisdom you need, or somebody you know needs, to be the best possible grandfather. Today's show is brought to you thanks to Navy Federal Credit Union, which is proud to serve the Armed Forces veterans and their families. And if you're a member of the Armed Forces or the Department of Defense, they would be proud to serve you too. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Armin Brunt. We'll start our discussion of grandfathers and a lot more when Positive Parenting continues right after this. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wound, sir? 911, what's your emergency? Please help. My son shot his brother. 911, what is your emergency? 911, please get your emergency. Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is James Knipp, who's the author of Stuff Every Grandfather Should Know. James, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. We had the folks who wrote the companion book or the, the parallel book, Stuff Every Grandmother Should Know. And it seems like, you know, I was looking around for the book and there should got to give equal times of the dads, grandfathers <laughs> included. So tell us your grandfather's story. Sure. I, uh, I have one granddaughter. Uh, she's uh, six years old now. It uh, came as a bit of a surprise, uh, which is one of the things I cover a little bit in the book about, about, about you know, really how... You know, anyone can become a grandfather really in a lot of ways in terms of, um, uh, you know, the different – there's no right way, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, so, yeah, and uh, it's – I like to say, and I think I put this in the book as well, that uh, that grandfathering is all the fun of parenting with only half the pressure. Um, <laughs> so uh, because you can always bring them back if you need to. Yeah, exactly, so, uh, yeah. Lots of fun. And you, plus you get to load them up with all kinds of gifts and you don't have to worry about – about anything, yeah, it's it's. Yep, exactly. And the the other piece too, I think, and, and this is the kind of the the the, the craziness of human nature, right? So when you're probably least equipped to deal with young children when you're younger and stressed and so much stuff is going on, 
is the time when you tend to have them, and and uh, you know when you're a little older and have some perspective, mm-hmm. you really kind of get a, a good a good you know, you know kind of a good view of, of really what's important, what's not important. So you know, um, plus, I, you know, I that's remember one of the things I think I like most about about being a grandfather at this point. I remember talking to grandfathers, and I've been researching my various book projects, and some of them said something interesting, which I, I remember checking out with my dad as well just to get his his take on it, that it, it, in addition to being able to have the, the, the fun and without the pressure, as you said, you also, in a way, get a chance to to go back in time and, and do things the way you wished you might have been able to do them or do things the way you could have done them if you would have had less pressure on you. Yep. Yeah, that, that, that is definitely true as well. You, you, you just really you get this idea... Um, uh, when you're younger, there's going to be a, this way to do things or that way, or but you're always up against you're up against the clock, you're up against you know work and things like that, and and you know being able to step back a little bit really does, does help with that. So, what's the hardest thing do you think about being a grandfather? Is it the giving them back and not being able to have them all the time? For me, um, that, that that's part of it. But you know what? It's good to have the break sometimes. I think for me is watching your 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 kids kind of work through the same issue that you did, and not wanting to cross that line and and, and, uh-huh. and try to push with advice and things like that. Uh, one of the things I cover in the book is is you know as much as you want to kind of spread and share your wisdom, sometimes it's you know your adult children have to learn it for themselves, and um, you know and 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 the way that you might have done something may not be this may not work today anyway. Um, so it is kind of hard, kind of watching, you know, you know, your 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 kids struggle with the same exact thing, and you want to help them push them towards a different direction. Sometimes you got to, yeah, you have to let them learn sometimes too. You know, you mentioned that you became a grandfather. It was a little bit of a surprise. That's that's one way, certainly, that people become grandfathers. Other times, there's there's a whole procedure. There's infertility treatments that people deal with, and sometimes there's adoption. And I'm wondering what you what you think about the how important it is for grandfathers to just accept being a grandfather regardless of how it happens. That, yeah, because, I, you know, you I, might, you might have, you might have feelings as a grandfather, you might have a feeling about an adopted child, maybe not quite being as, as much a member of the family as a biological child might be or something like that within the feelings that that, that you need to keep to yourself. Uh, so it, that, that, that's a great point. And it's one of the things I cover in the book too. It is it's really important, you know, that, you know the, the the grandchild, the, the child. You know they they had no say in how they were brought into this in this situation, and, and it's just it's very vital that that you kind of open your heart, and not to sound the cliche a little bit too much, but that you uh, that that you allow yourself to you know to love that adopted grandchild or step grandchild or you know or you know as as your own. Um, I was very lucky because I had both my parents remarried, and uh, and, and so my kids. Really, the way I look at it, they had extra grandparents uh, mm. because, in, in their mind, they accepted the uh, my, my kids as very much as their 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 very own grandchildren, you know, from their own sons and daughters. So, and that that's a model I, I would always aspire to follow, and I urge other folks to too as well because, you know, they they bring a lot of joy, and uh, and you know you're you're better off for for doing that, you know, even as a person yourself. 
You talked about the idea of not necessarily sharing whatever advice or wisdom you might have had, but what about the other side of that? With things, so many things have changed about the father's role and men's role in the family and in parenting in particular, and do you think there's a lot of education that a lot of grandfathers need to go through as far as how how you actually interact with the baby? They might, they might not have had uh, had an opportunity to interact with babies so much when when you were they were raising their own kids or yep. child development to know what milestones yep. and when when it's appropriate to play ball with a kid and when a kid is not going to be able to catch something just because they're not ready. Um, it just so. What, what do you think about the education component of it and how important that is? Uh, I, I, I think it, it helps a lot. I mean, I, I cover that a little bit. We actually kind of give a, a brief refresher, a few chapters in the book, kind of say, hey, you might not remember doing this. You might not have done it the first time. Yeah. Here's some advice. You know, on things like car seats. I will say one thing that changed from, from when my kids were little to, to when my granddaughter was little is car, car seat technology has increased a thousandfold. It's, it, they fit so much easier in the seats now. Um, so you, you cover little things like that. I mean, the, the, the best thing, though, is we live in a, we live in an information age now, so so information is is a couple clicks away. Um, lots of books out there. Uh, I don't know if they have a uh, everything to expect while you're expecting grandchild yet, but maybe we should get on that really quick. Um, <laughs> you know, but but there, but there is definitely a lot of resources out there. A lot of groups. So one thing I found when I was researching the book is is, is how many you know, we talk about the different types of grandfathers. How many people I knew that I didn't realize actually had you know whose kids had kids and, and the different perspectives they brought to it. We're, we're, we're pretty neat. Um, and uh, so, yeah, definitely get, you know, get, get some information. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And, uh, you know, when all else fails, there's always the Internet. Were you up, do you think, on the latest besides car seats, but on what's going on with child development and when you should expect the baby to crawl or roll over or be able to, to push a ball back and forth or things like that? I will confess I had to go back and do some research again on that because my memory is a very kind of strange, subjective thing. So, so <laughs> there would be a whole lot of times where I'd be wondering, hey, is, is she really advanced? And that's why I actually know my kids did the same exact thing, you know, at the same age or, or what have you. Um, so so I, I, I don't I think sometimes there's only certain space in the brain. That sort of thing you might want to look at, you know, where, where you develop kind of that learning thing along with your kid and, and, and the grandmother if she's available. I will say I relied on my wife a lot for that. I would, I would say, hey, should she be crawling yet? And my wife would say, no, Jim, it's, it's fine, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. But you still, at the same time, want to carve out your own relationship with the grandchild without having to go through the grandma, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we have, uh, we have uh, pop-up time, uh, you know, almost every weekend. She comes and visits on the weekends. And, and you really have one of the things I think the other advantage when, you know, being a grandfather versus a dad it's just that it's, you've kind of carved out your own thing now, and uh, it's a lot easier to 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 to, to bring you know your, your your grandchild along with that. You know, to teach them the stuff that you've learned, and uh, you know to carve out that time. Whereas when you're a dad, you, you tend to you know it's it's a more of a, a joint affair, let's say, with with the mom, and you don't necessarily have that as much separation. Always, I mean, you 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 have a little bit, but I think it's easier as a granddad. Talk a little bit about the social aspects. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, the social aspects of it. Because I know mom, there are a lot of lot more moms groups than there are dads groups, and there are a lot more grandmas who are taking kids out than there are grandpas doing it. But it's nice to have a support network of people that you can surround yourself with who are going through the same things or going to the same places and taking their kids. 
Do you think that's uh, that's something that a grandfather should look out for? Is other guys to hang with? To some extent, I mean, a lot of times, you know, really depending on on your circle of friends, you might find that a lot of your friends are becoming grandfathers at the same exact time anyway. So you can kind of share that, you know, that journey. In a situation like mine, where where it was a little bit, uh, it was a little bit, um, uh, you know, earlier. So so I'm really the first in my group that has that has a grandchild. Uh, there, it's nice to have that outreach. You know, it's nice to maybe go to work and find out people that I know were grandparents already, kind of get their feedback. Same as you would do as a, as a young dad, for example, I guess, same exact thing. Um, so, so, yeah, so I think it's definitely, uh, it, it's definitely worth, you know, if you could find a group that, that, that can kind of share, you know, their experiences, I, I definitely think it's worth it. been talking with James Knipp, who's the author of Stuff Every Grandfather Should Know. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to James about even more stuff. I'm Armin Brunt. You're listening to Positive Parenting. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, talking with James Knipp, the author of Stuff Every Grandfather Should Know. And I wanted to talk about some of the, the hands-on kinds of things that every grandfather should know about what some of the ideas, some games or some activities that you think are, are perfect grandpa, grandpa kind of things? One thing I touch on is that uh, paper airplane making, I think, is, is, is always a lot of fun. Uh, you did it with my own kids, but, but I, I just had a, a great weekend just doing that with, with my granddaughter. Um, you know, and, and, and I have a couple designs that you could use, but there's a ton of things to find online as well. So really just you, you make the paper airplane and then, and then uh, you know, hand it over to your grandchild to color. Uh, you know, to fill in the blanks, you can name it at some point, you know, have races with, with the planes or try different types. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. I think we filled an entire rainy afternoon a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, it was something like that. Hmm. Um, sharing your hobbies, I, I think, is great, too. And then this kind of comes back to having that, that space and patience and time now, whereas maybe when you're a little younger, it's a little harder to kind of say, you know, hey, try this because you're going along 100 miles an hour. Now that you're slowed down, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to, you know, to sit down and, you know, walk through a rock collection. My daughter, my granddaughter and I were looking at rocks, you know, and we're, we're kind of going through the different types and things like that, uh, you know, but, but probably about two months ago in the summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so definitely sharing your hobbies um, and, and those, those rainy day events really help. Um, my granddaughter's really the drawing now. So, so she, she, and she's, she's writing her own books, which is, which is pretty awesome. Wow. So she makes illustrated books. That my wife binds together and then she hands them out to people. That's that's a lot of fun. <laughs> as she as she walks through and tells the story. That's cute. So we talked about again the the idea of you not giving advice, but what about the the importance of taking advice and maintaining things like bedtimes or homework routines that that the parents have set up, and how how important is that? Do you think? To, to maintain uh, as much as you possibly important. can. It's one of the things I, I talk about is, is you know, once if, if the, your grandchild's parents have a routine, 
do your best to stick to it when, when they're coming over. So so my daughter, granddaughter's got the same bedtime now as she does when she's at home, even though we spoil her a little bit more with it. Um, and, uh, and and certain rules, uh, foods, for example, is, is a big one. Uh, my my daughter's a vegetarian, and uh, for now, uh, she's younger. My granddaughter's a vegetarian as well. Uh, and and funny, she she actually asked. We were having steak, and she asked, "Can I try a piece?" And at that point, you know, it would not be right for me to say, "Sure, have a piece of steak," because one, I'm not sure what that would do, uh, and two, my my daughter has made a choice, and she is the parent. Um, you know, has that has that choice to make. So we said we'll have to talk to your mom first and, and, and take it from there. Um, so I think I think that's you know that the parents are kind of paramount unless the grandchild's in danger of some of some sort. Mm-hmm. You know, you really want to hear to their wishes, and, and that's and that's not really that hard. Uh, sometimes you might have to put your ego on check because again you've done it before, but uh, but but you know let that take that back seat and and, and uh, I think everyone will be happier for. It. What about situations like divorce, where you're going to need to possibly deal with somebody who's not terribly happy to have you around? Because, I mean, I'm not saying that, that that's, that's always the case, but sometimes when there's a divorce, people lash out at the other, the other parents, their, their, their former spouse's family, or they don't want the, that, the, the father or the mother's uh, parents to be involved. Uh, how, do you, how do you make sure that you can maintain a relationship when the situation gets really challenging. Yep, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. And I think one of the, one of the things is to um, to not take sides, and it's hard not to take sides. But at least in front of the child, you, you don't you don't take sides. Um, your role in that situation, to me, is, is, has been that to be a support person for your grandchild because they're going to need it. You know, your, your child's parents are obviously going through through something bad. Um, there, there's going to be a lot of stress in the household already. So, so the grandparents at that point, I think their main job is opening a safe haven, uh, you know, so, so your grandchild could be there and, and, and have a place where maybe that stress isn't there. And it's key that, that you not, uh, even as angry as you might be with the, with the departing spouse, um, that you not, um, you not villainize that, that, that person, um, because that's still, your grandchild's parent that still can cause a lot of confusion. Um, it's a tough conversation to have sometimes about you know why are mommy and daddy getting divorced, but it's, it's one that um, that you know you have to handle very delicately. And uh, you talked about maybe getting help. That, that that's a great example of one where where you might want to you know look to maybe different support groups, um, look, look to different areas, and maybe the best approach for that. You know, and obviously talk with your child, uh, you know, the grandchild's parent um, to to kind of. Discuss how what they've already discussed. So, yeah, uh, that whole the whole idea. One of the things that, that you uh, you know that 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 you know it happens fifty percent of our, our couples, I believe it is. Um, so obviously, a lot of grandparents have had to deal with that. Yeah, the whole idea of not taking sides is is incredibly important and incredibly difficult. I think, especially because that's your child, and you're probably naturally going to want to take the side of your own child. Um, yeah. But that's the, there are in many cases there just aren't sides to be taken, but it's it's easy to fall into the trap. What do you think has for you been the hardest thing about being a grandfather? I think in, in some ways the, the 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 advice piece, you know, having to kind of bite my lip when when I feel like they might be going in the wrong direction and let them kind of discover that on their own. Um, to some extent, there's that. Um, maybe that's probably the hardest thing. I, I'm very lucky; I, I get to see her every weekend. Sometimes three or four days a week, 
Um, we don't live together anymore. We actually we you know, all lived in the same house up until earlier this year, hmm. and um, and uh, so that so that that was lucky. So you know, doing that saying goodbye piece is kind of tough because she really loves it here. So sometimes, um, you know, we drop her back off at home. She, she's not as happy because you know she gets spoiled a little more here probably. Uh, but I would going back to the original answer, you know, knowing when to kind of give that advice, um, you know, waiting, waiting for that period when they're actually asking for, and uh, and biting your tongue when when you feel like it might be going in the wrong direction is probably the, the three hardest things for me. So it sounds like you're pretty local to your grandchildren. Not not as much now as as, as we were. No, I know. I mean, uh, you said you were further, in the same house, right? yeah, but yeah. <laughs> But I'm just wondering. And, and that's another part that I think can be tough for grandparents is, is uh, if they live further away. Mm-hmm. Um, but the benefit we have now, again, with that, that, that connected society, is we have all kinds of tools that can help kind of close those gaps. Obviously, nothing replaces being there in person, but you have, you know, FaceTime and other net stuff. I, I recommend in, in the book that you actually, um, you know, start re- reliving a lost art in letter writing. Cause especially <laughs> younger grandchildren love to read stuff in the mail. It's just so new to them, you know, so, so write a letter, um, to kind of keep track. I definitely recommend if you're farther away, just to kind of keep that, that constant contact as much as you can. How about the financial side of things? I think it's a, a natural thing for parents to want to do, but I think per- perhaps especially grandparents to want to make sure that the kids have a college fund or that they've got, some inheritance is that something that you you think about much as a grandfather you you do um i mean part of it is tied to that legacy right you know you you, you have especially if, you, if you're a grandfather you tend to be maybe towards the, the second half of your life say so you want you kind of want to make sure that people are taken care of i think one of the things that 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 can be tough for for grandparents is, is that in some cases they're on a fixed they're on a fixed income they're on a budget so it's kind of hard for them to um, to say put that money aside for a grandchild or, or what have you, and, and and I would urge those folks who you know that if you can't do that, don't don't feel like you're you're failing. There's other ways to be a grandfather besides that. Um, that said, if you can, um, I would definitely recommend it because you know as we see college education is going up, you know the cost of, of starting out a household is going up. So if you if you have the ability to put a little bit aside, um, especially in this day and age where maybe your children can't because 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 it's so much more expensive, you know, I definitely would recommend taking it. And there's all kinds of uh, of, of investment vehicles, universe, universe, uh, uniform gift to minors um, accounts, and and and, uh, and I think it's called 501Cs. I have to look at my book to double check that. I had the college. Oh, 529. I definitely recommend yeah. it because that that little bit can really help. Maybe that first year of college or or that first uh, that first house coming out. Nice to have that 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 support for them. You know. We only have just a half a minute left, but say a word about grandfathers who are taking over as parents. If something happens it's, to the uh, parents, tough. <laughs> that, that, that's probably the word. But you know what? Use your experience and uh, and and do what's best for the for the grandchild is is probably the best I could say for that in in the short period of time. All right. James Knipp is the author of Stuff Every Grandfather Should Know, and you should know it if you're a grandfather or you know a grandfather. Get him the book. James, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Have a great night. You too. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba, please be done. Over and
and over and over and over and over, then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brant, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, my husband and I just divorced as amicably as possible. We've heard a lot about how children in divorced families act out, get bad grades in school, take drugs, have all sorts of mental health problems, and on and on. Frankly, both of us are worried that our children are never going to recover. Despite the divorce, we both want to be great parents and to give the kids the best life. Is there some way to make that happen? This is one of the most common questions I get from divorcing and divorced parents, and I wish there were some way to get the media to quit portraying children in divorced families as self-destructive failure bombs waiting to explode. The reality is that kids whose parents have split, whether by divorce or the breakup of a never-married couple, can do just as well as any other kids. There are definitely some obstacles, but they can be overcome. Here are a few ideas that will definitely help. Don't believe everything you read or listen to, except this, of course. Some studies do show that kids from divorced homes have many of the problems you mention, but in most cases, those problems are less the result of the divorce itself than of the quality of the parenting those kids are getting. I'm sure you've seen or heard kids who have every conceivable advantage in life but never live up to their potential or end up in jail. Keep your relationship with your ex civil. According to a number of excellent studies, the number one predictor of how well children will do after their parents get divorced is the quality of the relationship between the parents. If you and your ex can get along, not fight in front of your children, treat each other with respect, recognize how important you both are in your children's lives, and support each other in parenting, all of which it seems like you're doing or planning to do, your kids have a great shot. Love the kids and reassure them often. Children, especially young ones, are concerned with only one idea. How will whatever is going on right now affect me? If you or their father moved out, they might be worried that the other will move out too and leave them alone. If they saw you and their dad fighting, they may worry that you'll divorce them if they ever disagree with you. Your kids need to know that you love them no matter what and that divorcing their father has nothing to do with your relationship with them. Children also frequently believe that they caused the divorce, especially if you and your ex argued about anything to do with parenting. They need to know that the decision to divorce was made 100% by the adults and that the children had absolutely nothing to do with it. Stop trying to be amazing or awesome, perfect, fantastic, or even great. Shoot for good enough. You're mortal, you'll make mistakes, you'll have personal issues, and that's okay. Ask for help and accept it. It doesn't have to take a whole village. Sometimes all you need is a good support network. Having a friend or relative pick up the kids after school if you're hung up at a meeting or carpooling with another family can take the pressure off you and show the kids that there are other adults who care for them. Finally, keep it real. 
Spending time with you isn't a vacation. You don't need to buy your kids love. That means homework gets done before play, boundaries get respected, rules get followed, and life stays as close to the way it was before the divorce as possible. If you've got a comment or question or suggestion or anything here for us at Positive Parenting, please do send us a note through our website. You can do that at mrdad.com. We'll be back next week with another brand new show for you, but there's a lot more of this one coming right up, so don't go anywhere. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. One eighty over one eleven, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. One forty-five over ninety-two, and then I had a heart attack. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. It is tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brat from the MrDad.com radio network. Hello there. Welcome to the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brat founder of MrDad.com, and so happy that you stayed with us. As parents, we understand the importance of talking to our young children about health and proper nutrition. We get them involved in sports to teach them the value of teamwork and exercise. We're told to start talking about the dangers of drugs with our children at a very early age. Yet with all this communication, somehow money is still considered taboo. Rarely are parents encouraged to sit down with their children to discuss the importance of budgeting or saving money. When it comes to talking with our kids about finance, we don't want to stress them out or to feel that they don't need to understand finance until they're older. And many people still think talking about money is just plain rude. Yet every step our kids take from college through retirement will be directly influenced by their ability to manage their finances student loans, credit cards, jobs, mortgages, savings, and so on. Once they hit 18 years old, they are required and able to make decisions that could affect their entire lives, often without the necessary knowledge or skills. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking about teaching kids about finance, when to start, allowances, savings and interest and taxes, and a lot more. I'm Armin Brutt. We'll start talking about getting beyond piggy banks and lemonade stands when Positive Parenting continues right after this. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day. And it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, 
and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of this today's show is Liz Frazier, who's the author of Beyond Piggy Banks and Lemonade Stands, How to Teach Young Kids About Finance, and They're Never Too Young. Liz, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. When is the right time to start teaching kids about money? You know, that's the million-dollar question, and my answer is always the same, as early as you can. And because you're teaching them in um, based on their age and based on their comfort level and experience, you're not going to start a child at four years old talking about investing in the stock market. But you can definitely start at four, five years old. I, I've started my kids around four years old talking about the basics of money. So that's things like needs versus wants and priorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I was wondering about that because over the time that I've been in the parenting space, we have gone from a cash society to we're, we're edging towards a cash-free society. And I remember the, the things that I did with my kids about giving them piles of, of coins and saying, okay, this, this little silver one is worth 10 of these kind of reddish ones. And two of the little, the bigger silver ones. And, 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 you know, just talking just generally that different things are worth different amounts. And, but we aren't using cash so much anymore. Has that changed the, the way that we teach kids about money? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting um, because you're right. We are. We're moving to a cashless society. And, um, you know, I don't think that we're going to go backwards. I think we're going to continue moving towards that. But in terms of teaching kids, it's not realistic for the w- real world using coins and, and cash. But in terms of teaching kids, especially the younger ones, I still think it's really important to teach them with cash and coins. So I still sit down with my kids. I wrote about it in the book of having your kids look at the coins. I still I'm listening to you and I'm thinking the exact that remembering in my head thinking I sat down on my kids saying, so that smaller one is actually, you know, worth more than the, than the one that's yeah. Right. yeah. Um, so I do think because kids learn by interacting and engaging with things, they need, they still need money to learn from um, because, you know, it, they need something that's tangible that they can touch and feel and look at. And, you know, for my four-year-old taste and, you know, but, but money, digital money is just a little too hypothetical for them. So I still think there's, it's a, it has a really important place in teaching, but it's not realistic. And at some point, once the teaching part of it is done, then you'll move to, to more digital teaching. But do you think that it, it makes it more complicated? Because I think that, I, I remember my kids even telling me, even though the, the older ones in particular were raised in more of a cash society, and my younger one is much more adept at cashless, 
But they would, I, I would say, well, I, I just don't have the money for that right now. And they'd say, well, why don't you go to one of those machines and get it? <laughs> oh, okay. But I think in, since everything is getting paid for with a card or with waving your phone at a, at a, you know, a device in a grocery store or whatever, that you don't actually have to handle money or even credit cards, that it, it becomes so much more abstract as to the yeah. value of money and what it is. How many hours do you have to work to be able to afford that pair of tennis shoes or whatever? Totally. The electronic digital wallet is the new money tree. You know, they're just like, oh, yeah, just just use your card or your phone. You can pay for it. And that's, that's really why I think it's so important to show your kids tangible money so they can see, you know, if they do chores and you get an, they get an allowance, you give them and say, okay, so you did your allowance. You're five years old. You get $5 each week or whatever works for your family. But they can see and they equate, you know, okay, so I did the dishes and I cleaned my room and I did whatever your chores are and I got $5 for that. So that way they're they're actually learning to, you know, that working means making money. And they're starting to realize the value of that money firsthand. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, we're going to be talking about as through our discussion today about different ages, but my 16-year-old is working at her, her first real job. And she had a, a little bit of an awakening when she got a check that was less than the number of hours times her hourly rate. And you say, well, wait a minute, hold on a second. I worked 27 hours, and why didn't I get whatever it was, $350 or something at 13 bucks an hour? And I said, well, there's taxes, and then there's Social Security. And wait, wait, so what Social Security? I'm 16. And you think, well, <laughs> you won't be for very long. And, I mean, it's, it's fascinating just to all of the things that you just don't think about. And that, and even, and it's, she's not alone. I mean, there, there are twenty-five-year-olds who, who don't think about this stuff. I, I had a, a conversation with my my girlfriend's son, who's twenty-five years old, and he drives Uber now. And and he was doing his taxes last year, and he's going to be doing them again this year. But it was, you know, thinking about deductibles on his insurance. What? Wait, what's a deductible? What does that even mean? Right. Well, there are 45-year-olds who don't understand this kind of stuff. I mean, that is, you know, it's, yeah. it's partly age, but it's partly also your experience with it, your comfort level. You know, have you just kind of been trying to put a blind eye towards your finances? So, it, you know, there's there's a lot of people in that situation. Well, I mean, it's it's the, what, what I'm getting at here is that it's easy as parents to assume a certain basic familiarity with basic concepts that we have. That were things that we know that we take for granted that kids just would have no way of knowing it, and so getting back to the, the the original question about when is it too young, and of course that's going to be a sliding scale depending on what you're talking about. You're not going to talk about deductions and and uh, social security for a, with a three year old, but you could talk about tax, I guess. That the government yeah. takes a little bit of everything I get. Yeah, and you know, tax is one of those tricky ones because there's not a person I know who has positive feelings about taxes. So, you know, when you're talking to your kids about money, you you want to, especially when they're younger, that's their first experiences and first discussions around money. So, you want to keep it positive and you want to develop healthy money attitudes. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about taxes, as hard it is as it is, try to keep it positive and just talk about why you pay taxes. Not that you have to pay taxes, but why you pay taxes. Well, 
you know, when you look at our roads and, you know, our schools and our money goes to, you know, protect our country with the military and, and all the different way, places that taxes go to to help um, to help us have a better life, you know, putting and, and as they get older, they're going to have their own opinions about taxes. But, you know, I do think that um, talking about money with your kids, it's it's one of these core conversations that we need to start at a young age, just like we talk to our kids about nutrition and, you know, just like we talk to our kids about safety. I mean, I have a four and a six year old and I almost every day, whether it's through media or friends or teachers or, or whatever it is, I'm, I'm hearing things that I need to be talking about and teaching my kids from an early age. And it's, yeah. you know, we're not talking to them about nutrition because, you know, they're going to understand everything right away. We're talking about it to build positive habits so that they you know, learn and grow and are comfortable with these subjects um, and make good decisions as they get older. And that's the same thing with money. You know, we're not right. telling them everything right when we start, but it is important to just start this conversation because in the past, nobody was talking about money. It was taboo. It was seen as rude. And so we have so many adults now who just don't understand money because why would they? They were never exposed to it. So a lot of it at a young age is just about exposure and interaction. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you said some the, the magic words there just a minute ago of, of good habits that with, the, as we talked about, the proliferation of the cashless society and everybody getting all these credit card offers all the time, that kids, a lot of kids have got a lot of credit card debt because they don't understand that they're going to have to pay for that stuff that they waived their card to get. Yeah, and I, I think that um, people don't really think about when they're using their credit cards, that means they can't afford it. If you're using your credit card, that means that you, you can't afford what you're buying. So you're borrowing money, and then you have to pay interest on that. And I just think that we got a little lazy when it came to debt. And, you know, in terms of student loans, parents weren't necessarily talking to their kids about the impact that student loans are going to have on them. Well, you're borrowing money, you know, so that you can go to college, and it's kind of this instant gratification. And then, you know, yeah, student loans, you'll have to pay that back. But they didn't really prepare their kids for what that meant. And I think it's the same thing with credit cards. You know, kids see their parents using credit cards, um, and it just seems like it's just another source of money. Well, it's not. It's it's a debt. It's something that you're borrowing and you have to pay back. Um, so I think that just something like credit cards and student loans and debt, I mean, it's it's a little sophisticated for the younger years, but certainly in middle school and high school, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that your kids need to be aware of because those kind of things like credit cards and student loans, there's certain things that if they get to adult age and they're learning as an adult, then they have the opportunity to make mistakes that can last them a lifetime. So you don't yeah. want them to yeah. have trial by error at that point with those kind of things. You want them to learn before so they avoid that. Talking with Liz Frazier, who's the author of Beyond Piggy Banks and Lemonade Stands, How to Teach Young Kids About Finance. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to Liz. Your kids are going for a bike ride. You make sure they wear a helmet. They insist on skateboarding. Add knee pads and elbow pads, too. Swimming in the pool, water wings, goggles, earplugs. If we could pack our kids in bubble wrap, we'd do it. Because we love them and we want to protect them. This is Lisa Edelstein with some very important news. Now there's an easy way to protect your kids three times a day. Choose healthy foods. Research has shown that a vegetarian diet rich in fruits, vegetables, and whole grains can help protect our kids against obesity. It can even help keep them from developing heart disease or cancer when they grow up. 
My friends at The Cancer Project are just waiting to hear from you so they can send you important information on how to protect your children from the inside out. Just log on to cancerproject.org or call 866-906-WELL. That's 866-906-WELL. This message brought to you by The Cancer Project. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, talking with Liz Frazier, who's the author of Beyond Piggy Banks and Lemonade Stands, How to Teach Young Kids About Finance. And so let's talk about some specifics about how you do that. We talked about coins and and things like that for, for visual aids for teaching young kids. But how do you begin to to get them in tune with the idea that there are a variety of things that you can do with money after you've, you've taught them the lesson that you need to work for it, that you can basically save it or give it away or spend it. Well, so I'm, I'm a big fan of the three piggy bank system. And it's something that a lot of people have heard of the save, spend and share piggy bank. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who, who isn't aware of that system, um, anytime that a child earns money, whether it's through chores or ex outside, you know, work, neighborhood work, um, or even gift money, I encourage my kids um, to put a little bit of that money in the save jar, a little bit in that money for the share jar, and that's going to go to whatever kind of charity or, um, you know, community activity or whatever it is they get to choose, and then a little bit in the spend jar. Um, and I think that that really gives them um, practice for managing money. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, you know, probably the best way that you can teach your kids about money is just by having their own money. So I think a really big part of teaching kids when they're young about money is giving them an allowance or at least giving them some kind of opportunity to earn money around the house. Um, because, you know, it gives them some skin in the game and they're, they, they learn how to um, – budget money. They learn how to make decisions with their own money. If they're borrowing money from their parents, it just doesn't have the same effect. So I think a really, really big part of teaching your kids about money is giving them money to practice. Okay. And you would give that to them in cash, it sounds like. Yeah, I would. So, um, you know, I would, I would give it to them in cash, certainly while they're young. Once they get older, at a certain point, um, once they understand money, um, or their piggy banks are just bursting, I think that that's when you take them to the bank and you open a, a savings account and a checking account. But, yeah, I would give it to them in cash. Um, you know, for things like the, the savings jar, um, I really like cash and coins because they can see it growing. They yeah, actually can physically yeah. see it growing. Um, and one activity that we do in terms of learning how to save is um, – creating a savings goal. So, you know, if you think about the old term, the old the old school, like, uh, sales goals, you know, the big thermometers and you cross off, like, how much you've made. So you're doing something like that for your kids for saving for a goal. So you want to pick something that is, um, you know, easily, easy for them to get. You want, you want to set them up for success. So maybe they want to save up for a Lego set that's $40. So you can create a goal chart for them and you put it right next to their savings piggy bank and, um, you know, 
have them create it and decorate it and be really engaged with it and then create some milestones. So maybe at $40 they get the Lego set, but maybe at $7 they get an ice cream sundae. Maybe at $15 um, you'll match that amount so that will, you know, give them a bump in their savings. But the point is, is to keep them engaged and excited about it so that they want to save. It's a positive experience, especially when they get there. Um, it's really exciting that they, they've accomplished something. They've accomplished their goal. And really, it's, it's another one of those building positive habits. So I think that that's a really um, great activity for, for teaching kids one of the most important lessons in finance and money management, which is saving. And do you think that there's a time for talking about interest as well. And yeah, the, the, absolutely. I mean, the, that you as the parent would perhaps contribute a certain amount extra if for having the, the money in there to talk about that. Uh, the, I mean, yes. talk about the lessons of investing, basically. It's like you read my book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I do. You know, I think that once you're first getting started, you know, you just want to keep it as simple as possible. And you're just doing plain chores, you know, give allowance, however your family is comfortable with it. But once they kind of get the hang of that, I absolutely recommend giving them interest each month. Um, So explain to them that when you save money in an account, that the bank will actually pay you interest for that. And, you know, for for purposes of teaching, I like to just use 10% because that's an easy number to, um, to show your kids the math around it. So you can say, so for every... Um, every month, I'm going to pay 10% interest on your piggy bank. Um, and, you know, sit down with them, take out the calculator, go on the spreadsheet, however you want to do it, and, and do the calculations and say, okay, so this is what you had last month. This is what you earned. This is the interest that you earned on that. And then do some scenarios. You know, get your child excited. Say, well, okay, so if you wanted to save up $100 more with the interest, this is how long it's going to take. Or, you know, if they have a certain goal, help them calculate with the interest how long that will take. But yeah, I think that teaching interest at a young age is great because interest is really the foundation of investing and growing your money. And a lot of more complicated concepts come from interest and interest isn't difficult. It's, it's a pretty easy um, concept to explain if you just start with the basics um, and go from there. Well, I think you need to talk though about, because the logical question is going to be, wait, why was why would the bank give me money to put my money in in the bank? And then you have to talk about well, because they're going to lend it out to somebody else who's going to pay them just for the if you're using your math, who's going to pay them twenty percent? So then then they can pay me ten, and then they keep ten. It, it becomes a it's an interesting conversation, but it's it's something that I think a lot of kids at some point are going to wonder. Wait, where where does this money come from? They're not just making it. Right. And I, you know, I think absolutely they're going to ask these questions. And so you do need to explain in the most simple terms why, why the banks are going to pay you. But I think it's important for parents because I think parents get intimidated when they think about explaining all this to their kids and talking about finance with their kids because finance is really, it's just overcomplicated in my opinion. Um, so, so most parents don't really understand um, everything there's to know about finance anyway. But kids, you know, you can explain, explain, you know, things like interest and investing and debt and all of these things to your kids, and they might not get it all at once. They probably won't, but you're just, you're exposing them to it, and they're starting to think about these kind of things, you know? So now they're thinking, oh, okay, so, so I can earn interest 
on these, and there's different interest rates. And so they're starting to think, well, why are there different interest rates? And, um, you know, and starting to ask more questions. And that's great. And that's really what you want with your kids is you just want them to start kind of getting used to these ideas and concepts and kind of noodling it around a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about some of the more advanced concepts. You've got uh, part four of the book is for the overachieving kids and parents who are who have a lot of questions and want to learn more <laughs> about this stuff. And so talk about what are, what are some of the questions that a, a kid who really has a pretty good handle on this stuff who maybe has been – I mean, I, m- I remember when I was very young, had a paper route and, and – was thrown into this whole thing of having to learn about billing and customer service. And if you're nice to people and you, you send them a, a holiday greeting, there's a chance that you might get a tip and, you know, different, different kinds of things, you know, that, that type of thing, but also some of the larger concepts about money and, and movement of money. Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of advanced topics you could talk about with your kids. Um, Just one a couple or two. Of them, and you're kind of touching on that. I think that kids who have had some kind of business, you know, at a young age. So they've had, and this could be, I mean, most kids have. They've had some kind of lemonade stand or, you know, paper route, like you were talking about, or anything like that. You can start talking to them about bigger picture um, concepts like, you know, economics. Um, and talk to them about macro and microeconomics and really talking to them, you know, in a way that they understand by using their business as an example. So I really like using like the lemonade stand. And when your kids are doing a lemonade stand, really treating it like it's a real business. And you're talking about, okay, so, you know, this is the cost of goods sold. These are all of the material costs. You know, we bought the lemonade, we bought the stand, um, you know, this is what everything costs. And then here's our revenues, you know, and then the profit is the revenues minus the cost of goods sold and really talking to them about business specifics. So that's and like you were saying, that's like things like in the beginning, creating a marketing plan, you know, going through and saying, OK, so what's our advertising strategy? So, you know, we think that there's probably a lot of people in, in dad's office. Uh, maybe we should put a poster up there or you know, or, or what's our pricing strategy? Well, John down the street, he prices lemonade at four dollars, so maybe we should do three fifty, or or maybe we should make it more, four fifty. Um, but I think that that's that's one way to start introducing kind of some of these bigger concepts um, to kids, especially yeah. around businesses and advertising and, and economics. Talking with Liz Frazier, who's the author of Beyond Piggy Banks and Lemonade Stands: How to Teach Young Kids About Finance. And there's a lot of great stuff in here and even more exploration of the ideas we've been talking about and a lot we didn't get to. Liz, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks very much to Navy Federal Credit Union for supporting today's show. They've been proudly serving the Armed Forces Department of Defense veterans and their families for over 80 years. Federally insured by NCUA. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.